course of the last few weeks, we have been diving back into our series on the book of Mark. And if you have your Bibles with you today, I want you guys to open them up to Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. As we let you guys open those up, just a quick recap. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus calm the winds and the waves. His disciples were on the boat with him and they were freaking out and through the calming of the wind and the waves, he showed that he had power over creation. Last week, we saw Jesus cast out thousands of demons from a man to show that he has authority even over the spiritual realm. Today, we are going to dive into two stories that further show that Jesus has authority over sickness and death. Let's dive in. We're going to read through today's text. Behold, church, the word of the true and living God, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. The text will be on the screen behind me, too, if you don't have your Bible. Mark 21, or 521. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. Seeing him, seeing Jesus, Jairus fell at his feet and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease." And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned to the crowd and asked, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion? Why are you weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in there where the child was, taking her by the hand and saying, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. I love that Jesus' response to raising this little girl from the dead is to tell her parents, get her something to eat, man. Give her some food. 
And again, over the last few weeks, right, we have seen Jesus display his authority. The whole point of the book of Mark is to show you guys that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah, the son of the living God, God who took on flesh and dwelt with us. God who redeems and restores his people. A God who does that by living a perfect life and dying in our place. Over the course of the book of Mark, that is what we will be looking at. But today, up to now, these last few weeks, we've seen him calm nature, cast out demons, and today, rid someone of illness and raise someone from the dead. And we're going to look at these two stories side by side. We are going to look at these two stories and see how Mark kind of gives us this sandwich of stories. But I want to tell you, church, so often we look at these stories and we miss the point. If you guys are anything like me, there's been times in my life where I'm like, I can't find my keys. I have no idea where my keys are. I can't find my keys. And I'm like literally holding my keys in my hand. Okay, like five of you guys are with me on that. And I think so often when we look at these stories, when we read through these narratives in Scripture, we're missing the very point that's right in front of us. We're focusing on the wrong thing. And so today, as we walk through these stories, as, as, as we kind of bounce around in them, I want you to see what Jesus says. And moreover, I want you to see what Jesus does, because that is where the truth in this story lies. Let's backtrack and walk through this. This story starts with a man named Jairus. He, he's not just any man. See, Jesus comes back from healing this man that was possessed by thousands of demons. He comes back, and there's already a crowd waiting for him. We see this in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd had gathered about. And this man, Jairus, this is super important. Up to now, we've seen Mark is like, no, we're, we're, we're trucking through. I'm telling you stories. We're not going to waste time on details. And yet here, Mark pauses to say, hey, there wasn't only this man whose name is Jairus. This is what he did. He was the ruler of the synagogue. And upon seeing Jesus, he books it to him and falls down at his feet, begging him to save his daughter. There was a great urgency. There was a great need. And, and just to, 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 to walk through this a little bit, Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. Now, he was not a Pharisee. He was not a part of the, the, the priesthood, if you will. But he was in charge of making sure that services ran well. He was in charge of taking care of the building. And, and, and the fact that they give you his name tells you that he was someone of notoriety in Jewish circles. Super important here. Because this man who was super plugged in and super connected in these Jewish circles is going to fall down at the feet of Jesus, begging him for help, begging him for his daughter's life. Verse 23 says that he implored him, he begged him, saying, my daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. He falls at Jesus' feet, and the situation is dire. It's bad. He says she's at the point of death. The parallel account of this in the book of Matthew takes it a step further. In the book of Matthew, Matthew 9, verse 18, it says, While he was saying these things to them, a ruler 
Jairus, came to him, knelt before him, and said, my daughter has just died. See, this little girl wasn't sick in need of being healed. She was on her deathbed, breathing her last breath. And Jairus goes to Jesus in his last-ditch effort because she was so ill, they knew what was about to come. And again, this man, Jairus, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to organize this in a way so we can keep track of everything because there's two things that are going to be happening right now. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. He's part of the who's who. He's part of high society, and he is desperate for his daughter to be healed. He comes to Jesus looking for a miracle. He comes to Jesus looking for a miracle. And on the way to the house of Jairus, because Jesus agrees, he's like, all right, let's go. The whole crowd of people is walking along, and Mark interrupts the story to tell us something else that happens along the way. Verse 25, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had suffered much under many physicians and literally spent all that she had. There was no way she was getting better, but rather growing worse at the hands of all these physicians. Another person in the midst of a dire situation. Unlike Jairus, though, we never get this woman's name. She was an outcast from society. This disease that caused her to bleed for 12 years made her unclean. And yet in her moment of need, in her moment of desperation, what does she do? I've heard that this man has healed people. We see it in verse 27. She heard reports that Jesus had healed people. And she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment. For she said, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. Because she was unclean, anybody she touched in the crowd, also unclean. And for 12 years, this woman was cast out of society because when you were unclean by Jewish law, you were supposed to separate yourself from everyone until you were made clean. So she was not allowed to be a part of any kind of worship service. And if we parallel these two people side by side, we see Jairus, who was a, very, a, a man amongst a lot of people. People knew him. We see this woman who was an outcast, and yet they both come to Jesus out of great need. These two stories are sandwiched together because they both are coming to Jesus for a miracle. And I'm going to tell you guys, church, so often we're the same. So often we look at our situations and our circumstances, and we come to Jesus looking for a miracle. We come to Jesus looking for him to step in and save us from our worldly circumstances. We look for a miracle. Jesus, I really need you to step in and help me win that lottery. I say that joking, but believe me, that's a prayer that I've heard. More seriously, Jesus, my father's sick. Step in and save him, please. Heal him. We know many people who are on their deathbed and we're begging, pleading for God to do a miracle. And yet we come to Jesus looking for the miracle and we completely miss out on the fact that he's the Messiah. See, I can't tell you because it doesn't say here in scripture, 
But I do know that Jesus hadn't fully revealed himself yet. We see it with the woman. She knew she had heard these stories of Jesus healing people, and she was desperate, so she went. Jairus, his daughter is ill. He had done everything he could, but he knew Jesus had been able to cast out demons and do some amazing things, so he went. At this point, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross. At this point, Jesus hadn't even told people who he was. But they knew he could do some good stuff. And church, that's us. We go to Jesus for the same exact thing. That's why the pop prosperity gospel is so popular around the world. It's all about health and wealth and what Jesus can do for us, all the while neglecting that the biggest miracle we can experience is a heart that is changed, that wants nothing but sin and seeks after the Savior. It's a heart that is forgiven and restored and brought back to life. Does Jesus have authority over life and death? Yes. Does he have authority over healing? 100%. Demons, nature, absolutely. Is that all Jesus is about? Absolutely not. And we're gonna see Jesus' response as he moves forward or as we move forward in this story. This woman reaches out, she touches the hem of his garment and immediately, Mark's favorite word, Immediately the flow of blood dries up and she felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving that power had gone out from him, immediately turns to the crowd and says, who touched me? And I love, I love his disciples' response. Check out what it says in 31. And his disciples said to him, dude, you see the crowd pressing in around you and yet you say, who touched me? They're like, bro, really? Like, everyone's touching you. Like, what do you mean? And he looked around to see who had done it. In other accounts, it says that he looked right at the woman. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, it's verse 33. And, and, and this blows my mind, right? Think about this woman's experience. 12 years of suffering from a disease, 12 years of hurting and pain and suffering, things only getting worse and worse and worse. And in an instant, healed. She comes before Jesus and she has the same response that Jairus did. She falls down on her knees before him. She bows down before Jesus and tells him all that he had done. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, I want you to pay attention here. Because like I said, a lot of times we focus on the miracle. What was it that made her well? Her faith. Jesus says in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Her belief that Jesus could heal her, her belief and pursuit of him, that's what Jesus used to heal her. And here's what's awesome. She went to Jesus out of her great need, needing a problem to be solved. And what he did was he took her circumstances and situation and he took it a whole lot further. See, Jesus made it personal. He says, daughter. He didn't go, uh, excuse me, miss ma'am, you touched my cloak, Right? He didn't say, uh, little lady, sweetheart. No, 
the response was one out of a heart to seek after his people, a heart to care and nurture and love those he came for. Because ultimately, that's who Jesus is. We see it in the gospel. And what's amazing is he took this request and he made it personal. When we come to Jesus, y'all, if all we're seeking is the miracle, none of this matters. The part where it's personal. None of that counts if we're coming to Jesus for the wrong reason. Now, as all of these things are happening, I want you to put yourself in Jairus' shoes. Y'all remember him? Right, it's where we started the story. Jairus comes to Jesus. Jesus, I need my daughter to get healed. Let's go. Awesome. They're walking to his house, this huge crowd of people, and yet Jesus pauses, stops, and turns to address this woman that was just healed by her faith. And I can picture Jairus there like, Jesus, come on, man. Like, my daughter, she's not doing well. We got to go. And while Jesus is talking, we see this in verse 35. We see his situation go from very little hope to no hope at all. Verse 35 says, while he was speaking, while Jesus was speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Don't even bother, Jairus. Let him go do his thing. And I love Jesus. Love what he says. Overhearing what was said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, but only believe. Do not fear, but have faith. And these two things, fear and faith, they don't go together. Because if we truly believe and trust in Christ, that fear should be peace. We know God's got this. We know God's in control. We know he knows what he's doing. And so Jesus tells Jairus the very same thing he told his disciples in the boat. Two weeks ago, as we walked through that story, he looks to his disciples and they're freaking out. Jesus, we're going to die. The boat's going to sink. The waves and wind, it's going to kill us. And Jesus is like, really? Like, do you not understand who you're on the boat with? He says, have you no faith? Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? Why are you afraid? He tells the same thing to Jairus. His daughter was gone, and he had no hope, but Jesus tells him to believe. And he allowed no one to follow him, verse 37. But Peter and James and John, the brother of James, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. Now, now, really quickly, in this custom, in this time, it was very common for Jewish families to hire professional mourners to play songs and to weep and wail loudly to announce that someone had passed away, that a death had occurred. Again, this goes back to the law, because if you were to touch a dead body, you would be made unclean. Even the poorest of the poor were asked to do this. And then Jesus enters into the house. And he asks these professional mourners, these people who literally spent their entire life surrounding the deaths of other people. And he says, why are you wailing and weeping? And why is there this commotion? This little girl is not dead. She's only asleep. Their response 
is hilarious. And we're going to see it in just a second. But Jesus is not lying here. She's asleep the same way Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare this to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead will rise first in Christ. Jesus here is showing that he has authority over life and death, just like he has authority over demons and illness and creation. And he has these because he is God. But remember, if all you see here is the miracle, you're missing out on the Messiah. If all you're looking at is Jesus raising this little girl, you're missing out on the fact that he is God. And they laughed at him. These professional mourners laughed at Jesus, and he put them all outside. And he took in the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went to where this child was. Now, if, if you've been here with us throughout these sermons on the book of Mark, you know that when we hear from Mark or when we read from Mark, what we're doing is we're hearing from Peter. Peter passed these stories to Mark, and Mark wrote them down. And I love this picture because Peter, it's almost like he's back in this room seeing this happen. He sees Jesus take this little girl by the hand. He sees Jesus say, Talitha kumi. That's Hebrew. This is being written in Greek, which translates to little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately this girl gets up and begins to walk. He is almost back in the room watching this happen. And the family's amazed. Just like that, this little girl was raised. Just like that, because of faith, this woman was healed. It was their faith in Jesus that did it. And I'm going to tell you, church, their lives looked very different afterwards. This woman that had the flow of blood, she lived a very different life. She was no longer an outcast. She was able to be a part of the people, right? She was able to take part in worship services. She was able to be brought back in. This little girl who was dead is now alive. And these are pictures, church, of a spiritual reality for us as we believe the gospel, as we come to place our faith in Jesus. And the crazy thing here is this Jesus hadn't even fully revealed himself. And yet their faith healed them and brought this little girl back to life. And, and I'm going to tell you guys, church, what we experience as New Testament believers, we experience something far greater than these two families did. We do. The woman with the flow of blood, she was healed but one day she died. She may have even gotten sick again. We don't know that story. This little girl who was brought back to life, she was able to live. But later on, she died. 
we as believers, church, if we've placed our faith in Christ, we not only live a very different life right now, post-faith, but we live a very different life in eternity too. And those are the promises that God has made to us. Those are the pictures of that spiritual reality that we have been given. My point for you guys today is this. It is our faith in Jesus that brings about new life on earth and ultimate healing and resurrection in eternity. Just like these two people that had a brand new lease on life, when we come to believe we are raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. We see it in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the course of this world, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, made us alive with Christ Jesus. By grace, you've been saved. By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. And we live a very different life once we come to truly believe in Jesus, church. We live a very different life. The sin that used to rule us now has no power because those chains were broken and we've been set free. More than that, church, we have the promise of eternity, being raised with our Savior. I just read it when we went through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. God will call us up to be with him in eternity. As I prepared for this sermon, it took me back a few years ago. The day was October 8th, it was a Friday. That morning, my entire family and I put on our breast cancer awareness t-shirts. We took a family photo because we have several survivors in our family. We went about our day running errands because had a whole lot to do that weekend and we got a phone call. My father-in-law was found unresponsive. We did everything we could to book it and get back. My wife was at work, I was running errands. It took both of us 30 minutes just to get home. On top of that, the ambulance that was called from a fire station that's just over a mile and a half away took 30 minutes to get to our house too. There was traffic, there were delays, just like Jairus. My daughter's super ill, we've gotta get there. And yet we got held up. The ambulance didn't make it in time. 
church. My father-in-law passed away that day. Does that mean that my faith was placed in the wrong thing? Absolutely not. No. Does that mean God is not good? No. God is good and can only be good. And my faith is placed in Jesus Christ because he has authority over life and death. And I know, church, I know that the minute my father-in-law closed his eyes, for the last time here, he opened them in the eyes and in the arms of the Father. He opened his eyes with our Savior because we have that promise and because he had that faith. And so church, I wanna ask you the question, what is your faith in? Is your faith in the miracle or is it in the Messiah? Have you placed your faith and hope and trust in the things that Jesus can do for you here? Or have you placed your faith and hope and trust in the God of the universe who stepped out of heaven to live a perfect life and bear the weight of your sin on that cross? The God of the universe who hung there and died was buried and rose again, again, to show that he has victory over death. If that's what you've placed your faith in, church, the God that is seated at the right hand of the Father that lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him, that's the faith that saves. It's not the miracle that we so often seek right here, right now, but in the Messiah that has eternity in his hands. Draw close to him, church. Surrender to him. And by doing so, he will call you his son and daughter, just like he did the woman who was bleeding. Just like he did to the little girl he raised from the dead. It's faith in him, church, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to live out the gospel, who came to live a life in our place and die a death in our place to bear our suffering for our sin that is due unto us. My prayer, Lord, is that as we continue to dive into the book of Mark, as we continue to live out our lives, Lord, that we are impacted by the truth of the gospel, that we live a life worthy of the gospel, that we seek to relentlessly love others because you have relentlessly loved us first. Father, be with us. Guide us. Give us wisdom and discernment and help us to constantly draw closer to you. Father, we love you, we worship you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Love you, church.